Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. 5-5 rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. We continue on the first hour of Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Your home of the Fighting Irish. It is 26 minutes after 5 o'clock. And I'm joined by John D. Lucas, author, historian, sports writer. His latest venture is focused on a really interesting project. He started with a close friend and a mentor, the late Bino Cook. The memoir is called Haven't They Suffered Enough? An Unbelievable Career in Sports, PR, and Television. And John knows about South Bend, a Notre Dame alum and former employee at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Of course, we work with Blue and Gold Illustrated here on the program and John knows all about the great work done at Blue and Gold Illustrated. John, it's Darren Pritchett. A pleasure to talk to you today. How are you? I'm doing great, Darren. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's not quite the same as being back in South Bend, but I guess being back on the radio waves is, you know, next best thing. You better believe it. And before we start talking about Bino Cook and this memoir, I have to ask you, you know, we lost the great Lou Samoji about a year ago. You were around, Lou, and we always appreciated the great Lou Samoji, his knowledge of Notre Dame football and his passion of Notre Dame football. And even 25 years ago, I'm sure you saw that as well. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, Lou was like Bino. He was he was a mentor to me. Got uh, you know from Bino. Uh, you know, Lou and uh, Tim Priester hired me there to that that kickstarted my career. But it was great that you know to be around Lou to to absorb his historical knowledge. And uh, you know, in the book, Bino wanted to make sure we we mentioned Lou. We mentioned him by name. He was mm. he considered him the the greatest living Notre Dame historian. And, uh, and I, I had no problem, you know, bestowing that title on him as well because, I, I, you know, I knew Lou and, and worked with him and uh, got along great. I was, you know, devastated when I heard he passed away last year. And, uh, but I guess him and Bino, they're, they're watching the games from that big press box <laughs> in the sky now. They had, the, they had the best vantage point going. No question about that. John, how did you get to know Bino Cook? I wrote him a letter when I was in high school, Darren. I, you know, wanted to be a uh, sports writer or be involved in, you know, sports media one way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, he just had that interesting take on things. He wasn't your normal, you know, he wasn't a former jock or, you know, wasn't one of those professional guys that looked like they came out of Hollywood somewhere. You know, he just <laughs> had a very everyday kind of, you know, feel to him. You know, he was he was, he was was the, the world's biggest college football fan. I was a huge fan, and I figured, you know, this guy could get on the air and, you know, and talk about college football, maybe I could. And he's he's from my hometown, you know. He's from my uh, my neck of the woods here in western Pennsylvania. Maybe he'll help me out. Sure enough, he did. I got a letter back in the mail with, the, you know, his home phone number, told him, you know, told me when to give him a call. 
and uh, we just we just went from there. And if you would have told me that day, you know, when I'm 18 years old, that I would have, you know, been asked to uh, to co-author his book and to hmm. save his stories for posterity, I probably never would have believed it. I think it's interesting, John, you being a Notre Dame alum, and Bino wasn't always the greatest fan of, of Notre Dame football. It, it sounds like back in the day that, that Pittsburgh-Notre Dame rivalry was kind of one-sided most of the time, and it, that probably irked Bino a little bit. It, it sure did. He, uh, you know, he had a, you know, it's, you hate to use the words love and hate because they're very strong. Sure. I think, you know, Bino was always a very competitive individual with everything he did, and you know, he could get fired up for, you know, the smallest type of reasons. And those games, I think the big part of it was was because Notre Dame came into Western Pennsylvania and <laughs> and, and really, you know, to, to, yeah, it's the apt word. I'm surrounded by, you know, former coal mines here where I live, and it, they really mined all the talent out of this area. And, you know, Pitt wasn't bad, you know what I mean? They, but obviously they weren't up at Notre Dame's level. And I think a lot of that – you know, that reach, you know, and that, that power that Notre Dame, uh, you know, wielded around here. And especially there's still a huge fan base in Western Pennsylvania. And that just, that drove Bino bananas. Hmm. Notre Dame alum, John D. Lucas. He is the author of this memoir that we're talking about. Haven't they suffered enough? An unbelievable career in sports, PR, and television. This based on, of course, Bino Cook's life, heavily involved in college football for so many years. I just remember being a kid, and there was this guy on TV. He always seemed a little grumpy at times, but he was stern in his words, John. He was opinionated, and I think that was something fresh at the time. We weren't used to having people pound the table and giving these strong opinions. Sports radio really wasn't that thing yet in the late 80s when I remember Bino Cook being on TV. No, it sure wasn't. I mean, he's one of the things we mentioned in the book, Darren, is, you know, he was, everyone thinks of him as, you know, okay, the guy, he's synonymous with college football. They think of him probably for the outtakes, for the ESPN, you know, the blooper reel. They think (laughs) of him for the Ron Paulus prediction. But to be honest, nobody really understands how much of a pioneer he was. I mean, there were there's a small handful of guys. It was Bino, Howard Cosell, Jimmy the Greek, and maybe you could add Phyllis George to the mix. Yeah. Those are people who weren't, that weren't, you know, professional media or sports media types. And, you know, they got on the air. And, you know, nowadays I don't think it could happen, to be, to be honest. And I think Bino, he, you know, he had his own thing. He had his own unique voice. Obviously the nickname played into it, the way he carried himself. Mm-hmm. Like you said, his, uh, his antics, his uh, his his ability to go off the you know off the beaten path with his predictions, I think that that helped uh, you know helped him blaze those trails that he did. John, I'm lucky enough just because of our sons being the same age and being involved in sports. I, I got to know Ron Paulus the last few years, and what a terrific gentleman, great football mind, and. Obviously, he was involved with the Bino Cook predictions. Bino thought he was going to win a couple of Heisman trophies. Did you spend any time talking to Bino about why he thought that was going to be the case? And I'm assuming the Pennsylvania backgrounds might have had something to do with that. Oh God, Darren, we 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 spent a lot of time on it, and I think uh, you know when when readers pick up the book, uh, whether you're a college football fan, Notre Dame fan, uh, it doesn't matter. There's there's a significant amount of uh, pages that we dedicated to this <laughs> particular prediction and the incident. And Bino goes, uh, he goes into great detail about why he made the prediction. Uh, he doesn't take it back. He said, even if given the opportunity, he wouldn't take it back, but he lays out 
and it's a, it's a convincing argument. And you know, you have to kind of go back in time mm-hmm. to I think it was you know it was it was the Sunday morning after the Florida State game in '93, and you know if you put yourself in his seat there on that college first college game day set. And and nowadays it sounds so off the wall and people still, you know, they still bring it up on social media. You know, that's one of Bino's legacies is that prediction. It made sense at the time Mm -hmm. and everything that Bino came up with and describes when you sit back and you you read it and digest it, you think, you know what, that guy, yeah, I I could see why he would say that, you know, but Bino, he also admitted that he played it up a little bit too much. I won't give that away. People are going to have to read that. But he says that, uh, you know, he, he, he wouldn't take it back if given the opportunity. And the only, and to be honest, that part of the book too, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great, great illustration to Bino's personality and the way he was. I mean, he, I don't want to go into too much detail. Sure. He's a very thoughtful, generous individual. There's not a lot of apologizing in this book or for things that he had <laughs> said or done or anything else. But he, he did regret that he put all that stress onto, onto Ron's shoulders. He said that, you know, it's one thing to, you know, if a guy's getting paid – you know, Joe Montana or even Aaron Rodgers nowadays or anybody like that, they're getting paid big time money in the pros. You can, you can go after any pro athlete you want, but uh, for a college kid and especially one playing in a lightning rod program, you know, with all these expectations, he, you know, he, he looked back on it and thought, you know, I, I, I feel bad doing it because of it. You know, it, it wasn't just tethered to me in my name and my mm. legacy. It's also attached to him. And that probably wasn't the correct thing to do. So that's, that's kind of a, wedding an appetite there for people if they want to you know yeah. read read into this a little bit more john give our listeners a little background you mentioned bino cook a close friend and a mentor to you when did you start putting together this memoir and, and how long did it take you to complete it how long did it take you to get to this point you know, it's kind of strange. He, uh, you know, while I was in school, I, I, I worked for Bino Cook Incorporated. That was uh-huh. you know, kind of a job I had. He would send me, you know, these sort of, I call them missions in the mail. He wouldn't want this look, research on this particular team. It could be, you know, the 19, <laughs> you know, 43 Notre Dame team, 1957 Ohio State and Auburn. You know, all this really out there type stuff. Then he would have me looking up stuff on certain television executives and, and on-air talent from the 60s and 70s. And, and to be honest, I had no idea what this stuff was being used for. He would send me these, you know, these things think that he wanted done, and I would, uh, you know, I'd do that. He'd send me a check in the mail, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was great work. And I'd do other stuff for him, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote material that he used on ESPN on, on game day, you know, the Saturday uh, – Saturday night scoreboard show, the Sunday morning sports reporter show, things like that. So I've been working with him and for him for, for quite a while. And when I got out of school, I graduated in 99. We got together for lunch one day, and he said that, uh, you know, a lot of people have said that I should write a book. And he said, we're going to try to do that. You know, and the, the operative, you know, tag there is we're. And I'm thinking, oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, how do I play into this? He said, well, you already have half the research done, and here's all this other stuff. And he produces these big file, manila file folders, you know, crammed with all this material and these notes that are, you know, written on the back of uh, releases from the Miami Dolphins in 1974 and, you know, just all kinds of crazy notes and stories. And that's that's how I got into it. And to be honest, looking back... I don't think I don't think it was I don't think it was a question of you know do you want to get involved in this it was more like an order or a command and next thing I know hey I had my marching orders and you know so I kind of I kind of went with it and you know it took me a few years to 
to get back into it. We had a significant amount of the uh, material completed before we died, but there wow. was still, you know, still a lot of loose ends to tie up and some things we had to do. But luckily, had other people in you know sports and media were able to to help me out and help translate some of his his notes. So I was able to get it done. So it was about a twenty year project, start wow. to finish. John, I'm just wondering. Listen to you talk about Bino Cook. For those of us that remember him on TV, I mean, he was such a strong voice. Was he nonstop college football 365 days a year, or in the summertime did he enjoy watching a different game, going to a movie, or was he just one of those individuals, he loved college football and he was working on the next year during the summertime? You know what, I'd say about 50-50. He was, you know, college football was a huge part of his life, so there was, you know, there wasn't a day that went by that he didn't think about it, work on it, you know, in, in, in some way. But he had a very, very wide range of uh, interests. And, I mean, he was probably one of the most intelligent people that I'll, I'll ever meet in my life. Mm. I always said if, if I was going to go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you know, with, with Regis Philbin, he'd be my lifeline. <laughs> I'd, I'd call Bino Cook up just, just because he, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, he, could, he nailed Final Jeopardy all the time. He was, he was very well read and, uh, like I said, had a wide variety of interests. So he wasn't just, a, you know, a nonstop sports guy. He had a lot of other things. And, and I'm fortunate that I spent a lot of time with him, not just in terms of working on the book, you know, but I drove him around to doctor's appointments to the wow. airport, you know, trips to different games. So we had conversations. And I mentioned this in the introduction of the book. I mean, they're, they're all over the map. Let's just say that. <laughs> Haven't they suffered enough? An unbelievable career in sports PR and television. The memoir written by our guest John D. Lucas, Notre Dame alum, and used to work a little bit at Blue and Gold Illustrated as well. You, you knew Bino Cook on television. You reached out to him, and you guys became close. Was there anything about Bino Cook that surprised you based on what you knew of him from television? To be honest, there no, there was. Uh, he was a very. He was the same guy you saw on hmm. television, uh, in, in real life. We went out to eat somewhere. I mean, his. He came off as you know the old show, The Odd Couple. Uh, he he was definitely you know the Oscar Madison type. Uh, you know, was very messy and just sort of out there in terms of a lot of the stuff he did. I, I called him cross between Oscar Madison and maybe. You know, Kramer from Seinfeld. That's that's the way he was. I mean, I would I would knock on the door to his apartment. He'd show up. He'd be wearing, you know, a, he, he had all kinds of stuff. I mean, he loved the stuff that people sent him, you know, general managers from NFL teams and, you know, hockey teams and all this mm. stuff. You know, and he'd be the only guy in the world. We would go out to eat somewhere, and he'd, he'd somehow have on, you know, a pair of pants from the 1970s, you know, like a tweed check pants, <laughs> you know, a, my, a Minnesota Vikings sweatshirt. And you know, in a sport coat, and that was just that that you know that that was the way he rolled, and uh, you know there was no there was no thinking about you know anything else, and he was he could sit there and uh, he could hold court and tell stories. I mean, mm-hmm. he he really loved that. He was he was the exact same character that people uh, that people saw on TV. Another good story is uh, a couple years ago. This is maybe about fifteen years ago before he died. I don't know if you remember it, but the Associated Press had a they had a, a leak of their phone list for athletes, coaches, media personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so all these famous names, you know, they're out there on the Internet. And I guess people got a hold of Bino's, his home number. And they called him thinking they were, hey, you know, is Ron Paulus there? Or, you know, oh, they no. would ask all kinds of, you know, crank calling. And he would talk to them for an hour. He would say, <laughs> okay, what do you want to talk about? 
<laughs> that's just you know just the kind of guy he was. You know, people were, were surprised, but uh, you know, to be honest, I, and the only other thing I really really sort of surprised me about him was is you know it was a guy that he didn't have a lot of family, and you know he never got married and didn't have all those sort of connections, but he cared about you and everybody else. He would always ask you how your family was doing or what was going on in your mm. life and things like that. So I think that he was, he was not just a, you know, a hundred percent sports guy. And, you know, he wasn't just a character. He was an actual human being and, you know, probably one of the most interesting human beings, you know, this sports media in this country has ever seen. Yeah, no doubt. I wish he would have been in his prime when sports radio was going, because he would be an absolute must listen to during the college football season and could you imagine him debating the four teams that should go to the college football playoffs oh boy he, <laughs> he, he he would have he would have had a field day with that i mean he he knew it was coming he, he knew you know what uh and to be honest in the book there's a lot of predictions he makes that have come true in that intervening time period a couple other ones are still out there you know we don't know about those but uh yeah he, he nailed the playoffs things like that i don't know if he would have seen Things like NIL coming, oh, or boy. you know, all the the coaching carousel that was going on, and things like that. I mean, Brian Kelly leaving, you know, nobody leaves Notre Dame for another job, and that was, you know, that's yeah. something that he would have just, he would have probably, you know, went off the rails on. But uh, yeah, it would have been nice to have him around to to sort of dive into all this stuff. I know he'd enjoy it. John, one final question for you. Just as a Notre Dame alum, do you still follow Notre Dame football closely? And do you have any early thoughts on what might be in store for the Irish with Marcus Freeman now in charge of this football program? I, I obviously still follow the Fighting Irish very, very closely. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's something to ever leave me. Bino, uh, I, I don't want to say I converted him in his later years, <laughs> but I even had him, you know, pretty you know pretty excited about things but again the last couple of years i've been you know trying to temper my enthusiasm but to be honest i'm i'm really excited i think this i think uh coach freeman has you know an incredible amount of energy he's, he's a guy who gets the school he, he gets the program he gets the history he gets everything behind it that's obviously you know it's translating in terms of you know the recruits of things that are happening and that you know in that department and i think it you know people might have to wait a little bit i think the game day uh you know, we'll see what happens with that. But, you yeah. know, I mean, there was – we would have conversations a lot. You know, he would say, well, you know, Era was a hell of a recruiter. He was awful on game day. And he would go <laughs> through and he knew all these guys. That's the kind of stuff that you would – you would just sit down and take notes. I mean, he knew there, – there's actually a, a, a portion of the book that I, I, I think is one of the most fascinating parts of the whole book. You know, Bino is a kid. He's a, he's a late teens, maybe 18, 19, 20 years old at Pitt, his alma mater – Frank Leahy came to scout Pitt. Notre Dame had an off week. And Bino runs up and just parks next to Leahy the whole time. And he tries to, he tries to monopolize his time so Leahy can't scout, can't scout Pitt for, for their game the following week. And so Bino, Bino knew coaches. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if, if Marcus Freeman is going to get up to the levels of, uh, you know, Knut Rock near Frank Leahy, but I, I'm, 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 very enthusiastic that he's gonna he's gonna make a run at those those types of numbers and records. I want people to read the book, but there are some interesting Leahy Rockney conversations from Bino in this book. So just a, another reason to check out this venture of John D. Lucas. Haven't they suffered enough? Unbelievable career in sports, PR, and television. John, where can people pick up the book? Uh, go just log on to your computer, Amazon.com, your smartphone. That's uh, we have paperbacks there, and uh, there's also the ebook, you know, for the Kindle. 
there's a couple of different options. Father's Day is coming up. I think college football. What are we? I know we're down to under 100 days now until yeah. the season starts. So it's a it's a great read. That I think it'll get people excited for, uh, you know, for the approaching season. Well, John, thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time to jump on the program and talk to our listeners here in South Bend about Beano Cook. And, of course, Pitt and Notre Dame had some great battles back in the day, and I read a portion of the book where Beano got really excited after Pittsburgh beat Notre Dame one day and went screaming out of the out of the press box. So, But there's a lot of good Notre Dame nuggets in there along the way, so I highly encourage people to check it out. And, John, a Notre Dame alum and former Worker at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Great to get the chance to talk to you. Thanks for reaching out and really enjoyed the conversation. And best of luck on the book. Same here. Hey, thank you so much, John, for having me on. Take care. All right, you as well. John D. Lucas, author, historian, sports writer. Check out the memoir on Beano Cook. Haven't they suffered enough? An unbelievable career in sports PR and television. We'll take a break. 14 minutes in front of the top of the hour at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 